0: Yeah, it's
1: fine with me. Perfect. Go for it. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess I guess I'll, I'll start off with that particular podcast that resonated. So in New Zealand, uh, Chris, um, I don't know if we're behind the times or is it is happening around the world. The biggest buzzword is agile, right? And every yeah. big company is is trying to uh, um, leverage. Uh, and I use the word leverage on purpose. Um, because that's what it feels like. Um, they're leveraging Agile for a particular need that they're trying to meet. Either, um, um, uh, you know, reducing overhead, reducing costs. Um, there are a few companies uh, that are innovating and leveraging um, Agile, but a lot of them are, are working at team level. So a lot of us coaches, so uh, Jacob is an enterprise Agile coach with Air New Zealand. Um, he's one of, one of our most experienced uh, coaching members. He's, uh, He's yeah. our uh, internal godfather. G- Greg, uh, Greg, Greg is a uh, is, is, well by role is a scrum master, but is um, really passionate about leading agility in an organization by educating them and teaching them. So um, it's there. I'm I'm a brand new agile coach. I've I've only been a coach for three years now, and I was working at, with teams less so than with leaders and organizations. And as as the three of us have involved in our roles. We, we've, we've definitely found the value that um, it's going to come top down as well as bottom up. So you, your, your mm-hmm. podcast talking about making teams versus, you know, um, um, you know having teams that are being agile, just resonates because it's exactly what's happening in New Zealand. You know, I, I recently joined the organization. Everybody can probably speak on their behalf. But, uh, you know, they're like, oh, this agile thing is cool. We really value you. We're going to support you, Amar here you go, we've got six teams already formed, make them agile. And as you jump in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: your words, I mean, uh, your opening um, sentence in the podcast is, you know, organization decides they want to go agile. They make an agile team and they pull them by the scruff of their neck. And usually, you know, they're, they're, they're the teams that are subject matter experts and they've been doing stuff. And suddenly there's emotions of bruised egos and, um, and you're coming in as an agile coach and you're just basically butting heads. And then you, you then ended the podcast saying, well, the correct way, and we all agree, is find people who are willing and searching for an answer. And then say, listen, this is an alternative. Try my way. But pragmatically, and this is where my question really sits, from your experience seeing uh, what's happening in Toronto, I guess, and, and your experience, I mean, how many, where is the line that we, that you'd recommend people like us draw from being pragmatic? from Because uh-huh. we're all employees and, and, and there is a need to to do something, um, and you know get some outputs, versus the holistic view of patience, patience, patience. Uh, if you build it, it will come.
0: Yeah, so that's a really great question, and I heard you say that the challenge you're facing is you are. Re, you know, sometimes we talk about things in the abstract, in the ideal world, and realistically, we have companies to run. And those companies don't exist to be agile. Those companies exist to make revenue. Agile is, at best, on a good day, a, a way to help make revenue easier, whether by creating better products, by being able to innovate faster, or in the minds of some just doing more stuff in less time, which is not a great reason to do agile, but it's a reason. And so we, we're faced with the, I heard you say you're faced with the practical reality of dealing with I'm an employee. I'm charged with achieving a certain result, and we're given the people that we're given. So make it work, which is somewhat anti-agile. At the very least, it's hard. Right? It's difficult. It is difficult to take people who may not be willing, who are forced into the role, who are probably mired in old ways of thinking and doing. So if the question is what's the practical reality look like, it's the same in Toronto, by the way, nothing's really different anywhere. Um, I think what we, the best advice that I could give to a team that is already in flight, so here you are trying to coach a bunch of people in that scenario, you don't have the luxury of starting Agile from the ground up, so you can't go out and start recruiting willing people before you build teams and initiatives and projects. So work with what you've got. The, the, uh, one thing I've always advocated is, you have six teams, great. They may be anywhere from 20 to 80% willing. Most of the job of agility anyway is about influencing people. Sorry, there's nothing about Agile that's particularly complex or complicated. What are the principles? They are, work as cross-functional teams to achieve results uh, and clear blockers. Focus, right? So deliver something of value every one to two weeks. Uh, ideally, continuously inspect and adapt your game to get better. Those are, I, I could teach you agile in about 20 minutes, if we're being honest. The hard part of agility is number one, scaling it to large enterprise, and number two, which is related to number one, changing mindsets and old ways of working. So the fact that you have six teams that are already ingrained and are probably not as agile as they could be, seems like a disadvantage, it's actually an advantage. Because now you have to get good at the most important agile skill, which is figuring out how to connect to all of those people and convincing them to work in agile ways. So if you have people who are hanging on to their business requirements document, and don't want to let it go, if you have people who refuse to do anything unless there's 12 signatures on it and refuse to let it go, you're now challenged with getting them to do differently, getting them to leap, getting them to take risks, getting them to assign failure uh, to, to unassociate failure with the, with a bad um, like a bad experience or a bad connotation and instead to associate failure with experimentation. So all of that mind changing is good practice anyway. So if you're not already good at it, this is an opportunity to get good. So it's really a bit of a blessing. So at the same time that you're working with the six teams that you've been handed, you should still be recruiting willing minds. So uh, slice off a chunk of your time to do a monthly Lunch and Learn or a traveling roadshow throughout the organization or an executive presentation at some kind of leader retreat, offsite, or wherever you can get stage time to go out and talk about Agile and inspire people Because when you have those conversations in front of, let's say, 100 people, two of them will come up to you and say, I really like what you had to say. Can you come and talk to my teams? So those kinds of initiatives are very low investment. So I, I don't know about you, but at this point, having been a coach as long as I've been, I can go and speak about agility without a script. I don't need to prepare anything I've got a deck somewhere that says most of what I needed to say. So I get myself invited to these different things and keep in mind, I work with one of the the world's largest consulting organizations. We're 300,000 people strong worldwide. We, I'm sure we have one in your town and you want to talk about resistance and old ways of thinking, holy shit. Like these guys are extremely tied to the old way of doing accounting, consulting, management, consulting, tax consulting, so, it's very difficult, but even so I can get with? around. Uh, so, is PricewaterhouseCoopers?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yes, 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 yes. yes. Um,
0: and so, I've also worked with international banks and so on. Like, I'm sure I'm facing the same challenge as you are. So, the uh, don't you know? sometimes when I do these podcasts in 10 minutes, I try to make a concise point to bring across the idea that, hey, if you have your choice, if you have your druthers, a willing team is better than an unwilling team. And so if you are able to design a transformation from the ground up, I would start with friendlies and I would start with high, but I would also start with some high value targets. So as a bank, if one of your most, you know, dreadful initiatives is launching a new credit card product and we would really impress shareholders by getting something done sooner and they're not agile people, I'll still take that on. I'll still look at that and say, all right, I want that challenge, I want to, I want to see. If I can make these guys work with agility, because if I can, I can change the bank. See, because if I can hit home runs, I don't know if you if you can appreciate a baseball uh, reference.
1: That I don't makes know how much sense. Yeah, you yeah. On
0: <laughs> if if I can hit home runs, that's the easiest way to find willing people. Does that make sense? For the same reason that the owner of a business puts a picture of himself with his Ferrari on the front. You know the front of their webpage, it's like there are certain things that people are going to be attracted to. So the girl in the bikini and the Ferrari, to me in the agile world, that's knocking out a home run in a high-value, high-optics project somewhere. So if we're being really practical, I would always say work with the teams that you've got, work on mm. building your influence skill, be prepared for some scraped elbows because you're going to get them. Mm. And at the same time, work on building willing minds in a community of like-minded people that you can inspire and develop as almost like a street team or a, an elite group of Agile Black Ops devotees who then, when the time comes for them to join a team or form a team, they've already got the requisite passion, which is super important. Mm-hmm. So that was a long answer to a very short question, but it was a really good question. Did that kind of answer it in a, in a way that's clear to you?
1: It did. It did. I mean, I'll dig deeper, but uh, Cuba. Um, yep. Any, any comments, um, Any anything resonated, give you a chance? Yeah, to... a
3: lot of things resonated. Um, for sure, uh, going back to the podcast and, and how Chris said that, um, you know, if we have a team that's already doing stuff for, for a long time. suddenly mm. we jump in and we, we say, hey, you need to be doing stuff differently. It's almost like we're treating them like babies, like they were stupid, you know, they, they're going to feel like this because hey, we've been doing this mm-hmm. for years like this. What's, mm-hmm. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Why are you telling us mm-hmm. you're just someone, someone external and telling us suddenly that we're not doing it right? Like what, mm-hmm. you, you can't be doing that. So so you're gonna get, you know, very strong resistance straight away. Yeah, um, of course. So, okay, go ahead, please, please. I wanna hear no, go, go. No, go ahead. Because my, my second thought oh, is a
0: different topic. So go ahead.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, okay. So that's a great question, and what I what I got from that is that it's not always easy to walk into an established team and make change. And so I'll echo what I said before, that that is, my friend, the art of being an Agile coach. Because, again, yeah. teaching, you, teaching you how to do 50 different kinds of retrospectives is interesting, but yeah. it's a trick. And it's an easy way to sell really expensive consulting services and books. If you want to provide something that is so massively valuable that you are indispensable in the industry, you need to learn how to change minds in the worst possible conditions. So my background and my training comes from working with a bunch of United States Navy SEALs who train me how to think and operate in conditions where failure's not an option and it's the impossible job that nobody wants. So what I've learned is that the first thing, and another really great resource if, you, if you're not familiar, is Anthony Robbins, uh, he has an online course called Making Lasting Change. And one of the things that he says is most impactful is that, number one, you can never influence people while you're judging them. So the first thing we need to understand about resistance is that it comes from a place of of fear. It comes from a very personal place of probably not wanting to fail publicly, not being scared of what change means to their job and their comfort levels. That's a really human reactions. So the first thing, if you ever want to talk about empathy, I don't want to, like, I I don't have much respect for people who can't come into work on time because an alarm clock triggers them somehow. But I have a lot of empathy for people who've been doing a job for 30 years and are afraid of what it means to their identity to be told that that way of doing things is no longer competitive. I understand that. So the first thing you don't want to do is make them feel like they have to change. What you want to do is make them feel like you are here to help them fix what is not working. Yeah. And you don't draw attention to that. You say, so here's what I would say. If you were that person, Cuba, I would say to you, hey, Cuba, how's it going on your team? You say, it's going pretty good. Great, great, what product are you working on? And you'll tell me. And then I'll say, when you look around the industry, what, what are some things that I could do to make you and your team more successful? Specifically, are you having any kinds of struggles around delivery, around team turnover? Anything and everything is a candidate. So essentially, it's like doing a retrospective, but around around the results that they're getting. Because nobody I have ever met will tell you, unless they're completely arrogant, that the team that they're working on is already a high-performing team and there's nothing they Mm. can be doing better. It just doesn't work that way. So even if they say, no, 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 we're doing everything awesome, it's like, okay, well, what kind of feedback do you get? You know, come review time or when you look at the customer reviews in the marketplace, what are they saying about your product? What are you hearing? And they say, well, actually, now that you mention it, they think (laughs) that it takes a really long time. They They think it takes a really long time to fix bugs. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. And what do you think when you hear that? And they say, well, yeah, it does, but here's the reason. You're like, oh, I totally understand. You know, we can't just sit around fixing bugs all day, limited time, limited resources. Got it. But let's make a note of that. Bug, bug fixes take too long. Okay, what else? Well, you know, we did have a pretty high defect rate last year. Oh, okay. Well, that's worth noting. Let's put that mm-hmm. down. So you're helping people um, You are helping people discover their own areas where their gaps are. And then from there, you say, all right, well, let me show you how the rest of the industry is overcoming those problems with some small, subtle changes in the way that you work. So, you know, sometimes we go in guns blazing, and the next thing we do is say, here's how that change looks. We are going to get rid of your business requirements documents and your business charters and business cases and your testing plans and your, you know, big, long-winded architecture documents. And we're gonna replace it with index cards, and you know, uh, poker, like a, um, a planning poker cards.
1: Don't forget, can't the, go the, there. don't forget, the, don't forget their hatred to post-it notes. They hear post-it notes and they think, you know, stereotypes.
0: <laughs> of course, I don't understand hatred to post-it notes. My whole life is a post-it note. Everything I do, from the, po- the podcast that I write to the to my, you know, the things that I'm doing for the day, my coaching notes, everything is on a sticky note. There you go.
1: I mean, to hey, me, that's what, hard work, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's what hard work looks like. That's what That's what innovation and ingenuity looks like to me. Because having a bunch of stuff that you don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, writing it down anyway, sticking it on the wall so that it's safe and stored, and maybe we use it, maybe we never use it, that is efficient, clean, and it also indicates a really strong innovation habit right, that we are constantly ideating, we are constantly moving pieces around to respond to the latest business priority or the latest tactical change. So when I see Post-it notes, I'm a happy guy, but not everyone feels that way, I understand. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to pause there because there's a lot to unpack, but if I had to summarize everything I just said, it would probably be to say, yes, resistance is real. You cannot start with dropping the change in their laps. I did a couple of episodes on fear and the theory that, again, from what I learned from people who go, when you talk about fear, they're going on to gun rages in in live fire situations. So that kind of fear is uncontrollable. It's not a logical fear, it's completely biological fear. There's two ways that you can help reduce fear. One is to immerse people in it an inch at a time. Right, So don't bring all of Agile and drop it on their laps and say, you used to do this, now you do this, and baby, it's different, and you might not make it. If you do that, people are going to, what are they going to do, they're going to quit? Not because of you, they're going to push back and they're going to try to get you to quit. Right? They're going to try to get your ass fired. So you can't come in and drop that much change in one shot. Um, and then the other, what was the other thing? So um, the other thing is to drown the fear in something else. So get them focused on a sense of purpose and say, okay, I understand that the word agile might be scary to you. Maybe you've heard some stuff. Why don't we begin by focusing on what we all agree to? We want to deliver a better product with fewer defects. We we have customers asking us for a shorter defect repair time. We have customers asking for shorter runway to new features. We have blah, blah, blah. We're both here to deliver the same thing. I'm just going to help you by giving you different tools to put in your toolkit that you can draw on anytime you want to deliver some of those things better. But I'm not here to say when you choose which tool. I'm not here to force things on you. I'm here to give you more tools to make you better. So there's drowning the fear by showing them and aligning a common sense of purpose. And then there's inoculating against the fear by getting them into Agile one tiny step at a time. So what if we just start with one piece like a retrospective or a daily stand-up or something small? Maybe we do Agile around a very, very small component of a very large program. There's so many ways to get them into the water inch by inch by inch. But transformation is a mistake. It's a bad word because it means let's shut off, you know, almost like a a caterpillar emerges into a butterfly. They kind of walk into one thing and they walk out completely different. It doesn't really work like that.
2: I'd just like to give um, some examples that um, I'm currently with, is that um, I'm with a team that has uh, a little bit siloed. Um, They've got um, about six BAs now um, gathering Mm -hmm. requirements. Um, One of those BA interacts with the development team. um, At the moment, Um, we're moving towards it. But the way that I've gone about it with... Uh, other teams like that, is basically just ask them, if it, you know, let's, let's have a retrospective. Let's find out what uh, what you really want to do and what stuff, is, yep. if there's way I can, ways I can help you. Um, mm-hmm. And and at the moment, I'm not pushing it too much. I'm just giving them you know, once a month retrospective just to start out with. And then I'll just, um, through the retrospective, uh, you know, get some ideas across.
0: Yep. That's a great idea, Greg. That absolutely works. And I'll go one further and say, if you have ever done anything, so anyone on this call has either quit smoking, quit drinking or drugs, uh, lost a lot of weight, or any other anything that's really hard to do, run, train for a marathon, mm. you won't do any. You won't do any of those things until your reason is strong enough. So until mm. something is a got to instead of an ought to, nobody's going to do it. Now the traditional way to to do that in companies is to push people into got to by saying it's either a bonus or you're fired. I don't care which way motivates you, carrots or sticks, pick one. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't work long term. But it doesn't change the fact that until your ought to becomes a got to there's no compelling reason for people to make change. So a lot of people frown on water agile or Hybrid Agile. It's not a good long-term solution because it allows people, the reason why most people say Hybrid Agile is a bad idea is it because it allows you to stay stuck in addiction or bad food choices or bad health choices. It permits you to stay there. And say, this is hard for you, that's okay. You keep on making bad choices, we'll still celebrate you as a strong human being, whatever. In agility, hybrid agile can work as a transitory tool, though, as long as you do what you suggested, Greg, which is let us change what we feel okay with changing, let them cling to what they're not willing to let go of for a bit, because in a retrospective, it'll become obvious, hopefully, that sticking to the old way is no longer serving them. It'll serve Mm. them for a little while, but it won't serve them for very long. Now, by the way, some things will serve them. We have all worked in organizations where the middle part, where we do development and testing, is very agile. We do sprints, we do stand-ups, we have a cadence. But the part where we fund projects and the part where we release to production is still an 18-week runway, and changing that is like pushing a boulder uphill. So we all know hybrid versions of Agile, even if we don't believe it. If you don't release the production every sprint, you are not 100% Agile, right? There's still room for improvement. But most large companies will tell you that will never happen here. Okay, so you can let them stay hybrid and reap the benefits of doing Agile to the extent that you're able to, because some people need to be shown. Because how many times have you worked with new clients where they're like, hey, I didn't think this was going to work, but now that I'm doing it, I really love it. That happens to me all the time. People who did not want any part of it, now that they've had a chance to do it, they want to become scrum masters. They want to become coaches. (laughs) They want to work on agile all the time. So sometimes the best way to lead people to change is to dip them into the experience and say, you choose, right? As a coach, I'm not here to direct. To me, a coach grabs a baseball bat, and watches a hitter swing and then says, you know, if you just move your knuckles a little bit more like that, you'll have much better follow-through. Just try it and see what happens. But it's not to say you. Rule number one, rule number two, rule number three, follow them or you're out. That's what a dictator's for, and we don't – in Agile, we really don't do that. Mm -hmm. But overcoming overcoming resistance, yeah, powerful influence matters, but so does a little bit of – Letting people find their way to got to because mm. if they stay stuck in ought to for a long time, there's not enough emotionally compelling reason to make change. And I think as human beings, we all understand that because we've all had changes we know we should make and then we don't because our reason just isn't strong enough. We have all the logic in the world, right? So I've seen coaches come in with a big sell sheet on the mm. benefits of Agile. That will convince nobody. Nobody cares. <laughs> Unless you hit visible home runs and suddenly you feel like if I don't change, you're going to be left behind, or if I don't change, I'm not going as fast as I could be, or if I don't change, I definitely won't make that bonus or that promotion. Um, until people feel that, they're not going to be compelled to move. So we have to be – as coaches, we have to be sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. And everybody's different. Everybody's ought to is different.
1: And it's a valid point, Chris. I like – oh, sorry, Kuba, go ahead. You had a second point.
0: I was just, uh,
3: because Chris, again, you mentioned uh second time my you touched uh, the thought I had around celebrating the first followers. So uh, yeah. if you as a coach you start getting your first followers, someone who's actually, maybe they were not interested, but suddenly, whoa, I can learn a bit more that that. I, I want to try that. Hey, yeah. tell me more about this. And then celebrating them and making them awesome and helping them to become yeah. your advocate. That's going, you know, you're going to start building a team of people who who will support you and they will pull and then they will start convincing other people. They will start saying, hey, guys, you know, I just talked to Amar and he told me this thing. Should we try it? And you don't even have to be there. I think so. Giving giving them the credit for because they need to be very brave to be your first followers. They very often need to be the first ones in the company. So really giving yeah. them all the all the power and all the support can be very, very
0: influential, I think. Absolutely it can. And and you know, I'll be totally straight with you. The reason why I created the podcast is so that a year or two down the road, I would have people who would just turn their heads and listen to me because I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So the podcast was the podcast was a deliberate tool to create a certain energy around Agile to insinuate that agile and leadership are the same thing. So if you want to be a really powerful leader, you should probably get good at some agile practices. And if you want to be a good agile person, you should probably learn to become a strong leader. And Mm -hmm. that is very attractive to a certain tribe of people, and they always find me. So anytime I go into a new organization, they're like, you're that guy? I'm that guy. Come (laughs) on over here. Let me show you some stuff. And then what you end up with then is people who are, doing agile, not because they've been told to, but because their hair's on fire to do it. And when mm. your hair's on fire to do something, there's no such thing as too hard, not enough time, can't do this, can't figure they it out. They find a way, don't they? They find a way. Of course, you find, yeah, so the Navy SEALs have an expression saying, find a way or make a way. But the and option of saying, oh, this, this is too hard, let's go try something, you know, let's try something different, that's not an option.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like Chris, I mean, like I said, I mean, your podcast, um, and this is probably the other part of, of your podcast that spoke to me. I mean, I'm in an organization that's that's very supportive. I mean, m- my CEO is the biggest sponsor. My direct manager is, is really backing me up. And I, I remember uh, I was talking to Jakob about it. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm, I'm adding value. He's like, didn't they hire you? The fact that they hired you and brought in an agile coach and environment, that means they they see the value. And, and they're mm-hmm. allowing me to lead the way. And, and what's happening is your podcast keeps anchoring me to truly mm-hmm. being agile. So I find myself struggling internally because you know, I wasn't born an agile coach, right? It's been three years before I was a business analyst and a project manager. Yes. And I have mm-hmm. 30, I mean, I'm 45 years old. I have about 20 years of self-affirmation of delivering output. Yes. So now we're working on outcome, yeah. um, which is always hard. So um, so I'm using your podcast to keep anchoring me and saying, oh, this is right, this is right, it's okay, patience. And, and in my business, I, I, I blog uh, and and I'm, I'm just basically available and I sit in different places and people are pulling me in saying, oh, I read this blog about using a canvas, yeah. uh, about forming a team, yeah. about uh, yeah. why doing a showcase, and they're pulling me in, it's great. It's just so slow, you know? So I, mm-hmm. that's why I always have self-doubt of going, is it because I'm such a new coach, I could be going faster? Or is it, um, it can only go as fast as the organization wants to go? I mean, what's your advice for me, for the newbie? Yeah.
0: That's a great question, Amar. You know, I woke up last week. It was early morning, I just sat right up in bed. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I don't, I don't wanna be an agile coach forever, number one. But what am I gonna get to 2,000 episodes of this thing? Like, where's this going? So we're all gonna have days of self-doubt. I liked your comment that I grew up in an environment of outputs. I'm used to delivering stuff, finished things, finished documents, finished you know products and finished projects and finished project plans. You still deliver outcome outcomes. You're probably on the same path that I am and that you're starting to realize that your outcome is creating a tribe of motivated people who truly have autonomy over their lives and their work by focusing on getting shit done in a way that's efficient and agile and focused on the most important outcomes first. So if you do anything in service of other people, the thing that you do is light them on fire to be more agile so that they can become more of who they want to become. You're teaching people to be successful no matter what the project, no matter what the team. There's all kinds of really great things that people like you and I are doing. And building a new photo sharing app is not really it. That's just one piece along the way. But if you ask me what I do, and I'll tell people in meetings, because this is this is a way of what I call bringing the sexy when you're talking to people, is to say, listen, guys, I'll tell you a secret. I don't really teach Agile. I don't really care about Agile. Because I know in my heart it's gonna be replaced five, 10 years. If you don't believe me, where's rational? Where's uh, RUP? Where's all those things that 15 years ago we were reading books about and passing exams on? They're gone. So sooner or later somebody will grow, evolve or replace agility. I'm not about Agile and I don't need to be. I'm here to teach people how to hit home runs. I'm here to give people away. To show up at work and deliver on expectations, whether those expectations are how many muffins you bake in a day, or whether those expectations are how many new clients you bring to the bank, or whether those expectations is when do you drop that new photo sharing app. I don't care. The methods that I teach are the same, and that's what I was put on this earth to do. Right? So each and every day I have a journal as right here. And in it, I write every single day, what is my mission? It's in the top right corner. And I can tell you without reading it, it is to create massive art, whether that's the podcast, music, coaching, doesn't matter, to create massive art that connects and ignites people to their highest fulfillment, to live a life of distinction, strength, and simplicity to create heroes. And I write that out longhand with a pen every single day because it's that meaningful. So that's what gets you up out of bed on those days you're like, what the fuck am I doing? And it puts you back into a realization that, yeah, it is slow because you are looking to do something that your bosses did not write in your job description. You are trying to change the world, my friend. And I don't know if you've looked around lately, but that is a slow, lifelong push (laughs) and you will end up you will end up in a box and never have gotten there. But the fact that you had the valor to try mm. is what makes you a hero in my books, mm. do you understand? No, so you need,
1: st- you need to stick with that. No, thank you, that's amazing. I like mean, what I wanted to hear. It's being a new person, you're like, oh, but I see around me, you know, you always compare. It's a human nature. Mm. Um, the consulting yes. firms around us and, and fellow colleagues. I mean, I'm lucky I have Cuba in my tribe. He's my anchor, and yeah. we kind of agree to that. We have, But for every one Kubas, I've got um, six other going, no, 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 should, 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 transform, 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 push, push, push. Um, um, link link, daughter values to what you do. I'm like, uh, I, I want to work with people, and if people are happy and I'm invited and welcome and they like me and I'm in this organization, I'm doing my job really well. But sometimes you yeah. get that self-doubt.
0: Mm. So, you know, in Agile, we're all about experiments. You said you had a supportive boss or CEO. I wouldn't hesitate next time when you have an audience with them to say, you know, by the way, I have an episode on uh, frameworkless transformation with a good friend of mine. who's That spoke to
1: me so much. I I even sent it to my boss saying we are not going to come in and and post safe. We are going to do it from the people. That was a beautiful podcast. Yeah.
0: Okay, so so you, you've already heard our data. I don't really need to repeat it, but I wouldn't hesitate to say to your CEO, say, listen, we're all about Agile, right? Oh, yeah, we're all about Agile. Good, good, good. So we like experiments, right? Uh, I guess, yeah, well, you're all about Agile, Agile's experimentation. So we like experiments, yes? Yeah, okay, well, I have an experiment I'd like to try. And that experiment is, could we, if you absolutely insist on doing SAFE, fine, go ahead, You know, go down that road. I'm not gonna spend valuable company money arguing with you. If your belief is that that will work, start down that road. But I would also like to spin up a team that rolls their own Agile. What do you think of that? So no SAFE, no construct, no framework. I'm gonna find four teams working on one product and I'm going to let them decide Do you want Scrum of Scrums? Do you want Nexus? Do you want SAFE? Or do you want to take the best parts, which is what our recommends, and roll your own, right? We don't need as much of SAFE as SAFE prescribes. We only need this thing, this thing, and this thing. Mm -hmm. And let them begin like that and create a culture that understands inherently that Agile works best when you get to design it yourself. Scrum is one tiny book, right? Scrum, if you read Jeff Sutherland's book, it is a tiny, tiny book. It really hasn't changed much in the 20 years since it's been written or whatever the case may be because it's dead simple. It Mm. says write down everything you want to do. Now prioritize it. Great. Break those things into small pieces that can be delivered every two weeks and go. What you don't know, you will learn. In order to make sure you learn, stand up every day so you can course correct if things go down the shitter. Then at the end of the two week period, stop and reflect and figure out what's most important to fix. Repeat I just taught you Scrum in 45 seconds, and it has (laughs) not changed. It has Mm. not changed since. Simple rules are what people want, right? Mm. If you, you know, right now, one of the reasons why I work remotely is because I had eight hours of value in a day, but it takes me three hours round trip to drive there and back. Yeah. So we're starting to get less efficient. That overhead, here's the payload, here's the overhead, it's almost like the TCP IP packet. When we first learned IP back in the day,
1: <laughs> yeah. one
0: of the things were we could keep making protocols that are way more error resistant and faster, but the payload gets bigger and bigger for the same morsel of data. So how much process is too much? The answer is, not very much. Mm-hmm. So I would take, Ardita's, Ardita's word in spirit was that, let people evolve their own version mm-hmm. of agility. And if the company's too scared or risk averse to try it, then say, this shall be an experiment. Will you let me run one project like that? And if it's not working, we will snap them into a safe framework if that's your wish. But I can ninety percent guarantee you that if you have the right people like yourself running and working with that team and coaching them, that they'll find a way to be effective without safe. Mm. Nice.
1: No, thank you. Eight sixteen, I guess, in New Zealand, uh, and it's it's uh, um, late in your place. We don't have to use the whole time. Uh-huh. Um, thank you so much well, for your time.
0: Right. No problem. Thank you for yours, guys. I really a pleasure to meet you, and I hope that this is but the first of many encounters.
3: Awesome. Thank you, guys. Cheers, guys.
1: Yeah. Have a great day at work. Thank you. Take care. Have a good night. Bye. Yeah. You too.